Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to another episode of the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. For first time listeners, please be aware that not all of the conversations within this podcast are suitable for children. I'd also like to add a trigger warning that sometimes the conversations can get a little heavy. We may talk about things like sexual abuse, domestic violence, drug use and alcohol use. And if you feel that that may trigger you, please do not tune in. Also, I'd like to add if you are a heavy daily drinker, please seek the help of a medical practitioner before quitting alcohol. This podcast comes to you from beautiful Bunjalung country. Please kick back and enjoy. Grab yourself your favorite alcohol-free bevy. And if you haven't already, do a gal a favor. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Monday Distillery, who makes sophisticated elk-free drinks that still have all the taste of a good time. G&T without the tears, whiskey without the wobbles, and other delicious cocktails too. Switching the ritual instead of ditching the ritual is so much easier. Stay in high spirits, keep a clear mind, head to mondaydistillery.com for more. Are you sick of feeling controlled by alcohol? Do you want to drink less? Do you wake up on a Sunday morning feeling really anxious and full of regret? I'm Danny Carr and welcome to my podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. Hi and welcome back to How I Quit Alcohol. Today in the same room, I'm joined by a very new friend. This person I met when Ash and I were traveling around Australia just recently and we stopped in the most remote place, I guess, but a lot of people know about it too, on Quabba Station, a place called Red Bluff which is really in the middle of effing nowhere, very, very dry, very arid, lots of flies, very windy and an amazing surf break and amazing fishing. Anyway, so we're down there one morning and the fishermen were just going nuts. And I saw this girl just like shouting and cheering on her husband who was catching like he caught this huge shark. Sorry for all the vegans and vegetarians out there. I was like, well, she's got a great energy. Anyway, we started talking and... As it turned out, we caught up later at an open mic that Ash was hosting that night, which I got up and sang at as well. And she tells me that she's been sober for two years. I'm like, oh my God, got to get you on the podcast. So here we are, Casey, too good. Too good to have you here, mate. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. How are you, Daddy? I'm good. So apologies if there's any sound issues here. Casey is still traveling on the road and is escaping the heat in her car in Broome. Where's the kids and the hubby? They're back at the caravan park. Joel's currently getting the van ready to hit the gib. So, yeah, very exciting. Oh, my God, you're doing the Gib River Road. We definitely are after all the rain. Oh, my God. So Ash and I considered it. We actually got up to the start of it and then I just said, I don't know if I could handle, like, however long of, like, corrugated road and all that full-onness. So we didn't. We turned around and went back the Savannah Way, which was beautiful as well, but I really want to do the Gib River. We're so pumped. We're really, really keen at something that Joel's like guns blazing for. So I'm just along for the ride and hope it all goes well. 
And also, congratulations, you guys eloped and got married yesterday. We sure did. Sorry. Am I allowed to say that? Too good. Yeah, you are. Yeah. <laughs> All good. <laughs> yeah, officially, Mrs. Too Good. Yeah, absolutely. It was the best day. So magic. Just what we wanted. Amazing. And you did it booze free, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the podcast. So tell me a bit about your journey with alcohol. Firstly, let's talk about when you started drinking and how it kind of escalated for you and, and then eventually what got you to the point where you decided you wanted to stop. Rightio. Well, I grew up in a housing commission area with parents who were addicts, both with drugs and alcohol, and my childhood was characterised by family violence. It was a very common occurrence, actually weekly, that my mum would be bashed by my dad, and I've lost mm. count on fingers and toes how many times I had to stop him from killing her as a child, but to me, then, that was normal. I knew no different. Brothers and sisters? Yeah, I've got a brother and a sister. They're twins. They're four years younger than me. Sadly, my brother passed away three years ago. He he unfortunately drowned. Yeah, that's been a it's been a wild ride. <laughs> but my first drink, I was eleven, and I was eleven. <laughs> that's what happens when you grow up the way I grew up. It's just it's in your face. It's normal. It's encouraged, Nelly, or blind eyes turn to it. Yeah, and like the first time I had a drink, I had two red bears, and I ended up in the shower stewing. What's a red bear, sorry? <laughs> it's like a UDL. It was like the old school UDL. Right. And that was at 11. Who were you drinking so with? Friends at their house. Their mum and dad were having a party and they let us have two drinks and that's the way it ended. Wow. And were your mum and dad present? Like, did they know that you were drinking? No, they weren't present and they definitely didn't know that that's what was happening. I can't say that they would have approved of that, even though things were so chaotic and turbulent at home. They wouldn't have condoned that. Mm-hmm. And where to from there with the drinking? From there, it was sporadic and just happened if it was around, if it was there, we could get our hands on it, we'd drink. But I think when I moved, so I was born in Mildura, but when I moved to Bensdale when I was early teens, 14, I moved out of home and I moved in with my nan. And um, you moved out of home at 14? Yeah, at 14. Wow. That was your choice because of the choice. violence or...? Yeah, like my dad had been in and out of jail plenty of times through my childhood and that was just normal, like to go to jails and visit him. So from Mildura, we relocated to a place called Datura because the jail was nearby. They promised us like they always did that it was going to get better and that that would stop, but they didn't. And when dad got out of jail, it just got worse. What was that like for little Casey, like growing up, to be surrounded by that in your formative years? I think that, like I said earlier, it was normal for me it was like we were on it was the same kind of loop for a seven-day cycle so three days they were awesome because they were drinking and drugging and it was all great and then three days they were coming down and that's when the fights would happen and dad couldn't control himself and he would be really really violent and then the day before they got on again like every one was picked up and happy and like we should forget about what had happened over that last week all ready to do it again What's it like to go from this feeling it must have felt from moments and safety and some security and some normality and then tipping over into this place where all hell's breaking loose? What do you think that did to your little nervous system? Oh, it's shot. Even now, it's still completely shot. I'm constantly working on myself to be better, to feel safe. And that's something that Joel and my boys have given me is that sense of security and safety. And I longed for that. 
as a child and I have it now and I'm so lucky. <laughs> yeah. Did you get it from then when you moved out? No, unfortunately I didn't. A pivotal person in my life was my pop. My pop and nan on my mum's side growing up were huge. And without him, I definitely, I don't think I would be the person that I am today. From nans, I jumped around. I moved from place to place. I had a boyfriend at the time who was amazing. His parents were amazing. I still keep in contact with them. His auntie and uncle were amazing as well. I still keep in contact with them. They're just really good people and they looked after me and they loved me. And so that I'm very, very grateful for. So they gave you a sense of stability as well early on. So you've got some from Pop, Nan and Pop. Yeah. And then, and then okay. Uh-huh. This wonderful family. So then they sent me to a Catholic school and it was wonderful. And for the first time, I actually felt a part of something and I felt... Sorry, who sent you to the school? My boyfriend's parents. Wow. Yeah, yeah, they're just really good people. Yeah, for the first time I I felt like I belonged somewhere and it was really, really empowering. What was going on for your brothers and sisters when you moved out and then you'd been sent off to this Catholic school? What was going on with their siblings? So they were still with mum. Dad had left. Dad left at the same time that I left. Nan said that he couldn't live with us and so... He did his thing, ended up in jail, bounced around, all the things. But he wasn't with mum and the twins. So essentially I thought that things were okay there, that they would now be safe because he wasn't there anymore. But unfortunately mum had, yeah, been hurt and traumatised and she just chose to drink. Wow. Oh, gee. Yeah. So that was that. No, so they were in Shepparton or Tatura near the jail and I was in Benistale going to school and being supported and loved like I deserved. Yeah, yeah, like we all deserve. And we all deserve to feel safe and cared for. Absolutely. And then uh, I guess through my teenage years, I drank. (laughs) I went to parties, I drank too much, I spewed, I ended up in hospital. All the things that teenagers do, I guess I pushed all the limits. (laughs) What did the alcohol do for you, do you think, at that time? Like what was it giving you? Relief. Relief from the pain of what I've endured and escape. I felt like at the time that it gave me a chance to actually be me, but I've since realised that the alcohol isn't me and the person I become when I drink isn't me at all. But as a teenager, you don't feel like that and don't think that way. Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) And we don't have any other, and particularly in your case too, and in most of our cases, we were never given any other alternatives to learn how to deal with our pain. No, absolutely not. And it's in our society and the Australian culture, drinking is just accepted. It's everywhere. It's encouraged. It's nearly expected. Like you feel like if you don't drink that there's something wrong with you. But really, there's nothing wrong at all. And that's really empowering. Absolutely not. And also like looking at your situation and how you grew up, alcohol caused so much carnage and grief and trauma in your life. Yeah, it's it's interesting Interesting. how we end up going for it. But we, we lean towards this thing that causes so much pain and so much hurt and trauma, yet we're kind of leaning into it for a time. I think that comes from wanting, in my experience, I think that comes from wanting to know what was so good, why my parents chose this over me. And I guess that's, for me, that's where it stemmed from. Yeah, that's so true too, isn't it? And it somehow gives us some weird connection that we didn't have. Yeah, there's a little bit of connection there and an understanding of to, yeah, what was so fucking good about this thing that yes. was so much shit. Absolutely. And I think then when you realise how it numbs your pain and stops the hurt that you're enduring, 
there are elements of it. I will never excuse my father's behavior ever, but I understand like from my mum's perspective, why she chose to drink to numb her pain. She numbed yeah. her pain the only way she knew how, which was. Exactly. Exactly. Cause it's been generations and generations within my family that it, alcoholism is just, that's, that's part of it. Isn't it amazing and empowering for you? We'll get into your more of your story, obviously, but to be able to change the narrative around the generations and how it's probably been throughout your family and to you for you to actually say, no, I'm going to do this differently. It's so empowering. Like in my mind, I constantly say to myself that it stops with me. And yeah. I genuinely, firmly, truly believe that. Like it has to stop. It must stop. And it, I, I feel sad that it kind of took me so long to realize that it had to stop but I'm also so grateful that I'm at this point now before I'm 60. How old are you? I'm 29. I'm 30 next month. (laughs) Yeah because you're so young and the kids are so young too so it's such a great age to actually stop. So I just noticed one thing and I hope you don't mind me kind of shining a light on this or flagging this but it could be a good learning moment or teaching moment for other people but I notice when you talk about the childhood stuff you've almost got a smile on your face is that a coping mechanism for you do you think as well to kind of stop you going too deep into it or what's definitely. that about have you noticed that absolutely um throughout my therapy over the years it's definitely something that has been picked up it's because I disassociate what I'm talking about to myself it's a way to cope. Otherwise, I wouldn't be having this conversation. I couldn't possibly be talking about it because it's too traumatic. I've got really good at being able to, yeah, disassociate myself from what I'm talking about and not have all the feels that come with it. Yeah. Well, thank you as well for being vulnerable and for even having this conversation with me. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure people listening are going to get a lot out of it as well. Okay, so you're in teenage years and you're drinking and you're spewing and you end up in a hospital and it sounds like all the things. And how did it progress? So before you got to the point where you stopped it, I'm assuming you're about 27 years old, what made you stop? After I finished school, like I finished year 12 and that was something I was really proud of. I always wanted to tell my that no matter what happens, we can achieve and we can be anything that we want to be and a wise lady once told me that you can look at your cup half full or half empty and that's your choice and I think that that's something that I've chosen to do since she told me that and yeah so from finishing school I moved to Melbourne and I partied some more and then I come back to Bensdale and I met Joel we met through mutual friends and that's when things started to change for me I think my priorities weren't just around drinking and partying anymore. It was, I was falling in love and I was happy and we did things, you know, I I created hobbies and interests and stuff that I hadn't had in the past because I was just too busy drinking and partying and being young. So Joel and I, yeah, started our life together and that was really exciting and deeply in love. And then we got pregnant with our first son, Mac, and he's now six, turning seven in October, which has flown, 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 flown by. Yeah, so after Mac, things slowed down dramatically. And then not long after Mac, we had our son, Ollie. So they're 17 months apart and they're wonderful. They're five and six now and they definitely keep us on our toes. And I guess drinking then, once I'd had the boys and I'd been back at work, was just like, after work, we have a beer. On the weekend, we have barbecues and we have drinks. So we catch up with friends and we have drinks. Like, it wasn't anything to be concerned about. It was just just drinking, just cause. And then in 2020... 
I lost my brother, as I said earlier, um, Aaron drowned and he was only 22. And from that point onwards, the drinking became a real problem. Okay. Um, right. And so you're to deal with the grief, obviously, or you were drinking to co- like cope with the pain once again? Absolutely. Cause I didn't have the tools or the skills to navigate that grief. I didn't have people around me who had experienced grief so significantly that I felt that I could lean on. Yeah, it was just a really challenging time. So once I started drinking on the night I found out, I feel like I didn't stop for the first year and I missed so much. So how did mum cope with his death? Mum's life is up and down. She has had some luck. I'm so proud of her for some of the time that she has been able to stay sober since he passed away and I know that he would be so proud of her. But as you can imagine, she's up and down and her addiction takes over at times. As long as she keeps getting up, that's all that she really can do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you're dealing with grief, like such a big grief and such a huge loss and a shocking loss, and then using alcohol to kind of compensate for that and help you through that, it's obviously a slippery slope because as we know it doesn't help us deal with our feelings, it just suppresses them. So what was happening there with, with the grief and with the drinking? I think I felt like I was grieving because I was crying lots of tears and I was feeling all the feels. But what I've figured out now is that I actually wasn't grieving at all. It's the tears that I've cried sober and the feels that I've felt sober is where I have really, really realized that that's grief. That's moving through the loss and finding a way to live again when there was a time when I didn't think I could live without him. My brother and sister before my own children were my own and they always, always will be. So yeah, it, it's been incredibly challenging, but also really soul defining as well. Like it's really hard to put into words. In some ways, grief can be so huge, but it can also be so healing. It can be such a great teacher because it is so huge. And the only way through it sometimes, the only way to kind of deal with it is to really sit with it and to be with it and let it kind of wash over and do its thing with us as it's going to do with us. There is no getting around it. No getting over it. You just learn to live with it. And I think of him every day. We talk about him all the time. Like he'll forever be alive in his house, through hearts and none of that. Just because his physical body isn't here, like he's still here with us. But yeah, it's it's hard. Yeah, so hard. Yeah. When we're talking about the grief and I can see it's, it's affecting you now, what's it like just to feel into your body and feel that sensation of the grief? Where do you feel it and what's it like just to experience it, even in this moment? In my chest and it's overwhelming. It feels like prickling and it's heavy and it's tight and I want to run. (laughs) But I'm not going to. And there's those moments where this is such a great moment also for people listening that, wow, here it is and it's showing up in my body. What's it like just to accept that it's there and be with it? Yeah. Breathe through it. Yeah. And what's the feelings that come up for you? This, apart from the physical sensation, what's the emotion that shows up for you? Broken, sadness, hurt, ripped off. Ripped off. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, it's sadness, isn't it? And it makes, I think, one thing when people aren't dealing with grief too, they're not accepting just that it's sad and it's okay to feel sad. Yeah. For as long as you need to feel sad. 
I think society makes you feel like you've got to be up and over it within a month or up and over it within a few months or why she's still going on about it. That happened years ago. And I think maybe those people luckily haven't had to experience such gut-wrenching loss. And I'm so like, I'm happy for them. I really, really am. People just need to be kind to each other and patient. Totally. Yeah. That's coming up to actually in four days, my two-year anniversary of my dad's passing. And my dad was an old man, but he was my person. He was my person, like the love of my life. And it's two years down the track and I still have moments. And even yesterday where it just grabbed me in the throat for a minute, I took my breath away and I'm just like, just the sheer fact I'm not going to see that person again. And there's sadness there, but it's like, just letting it pass through and, and sitting with it for a moment and just letting the tears come if they need to come, but just being with it. And it's for some, I don't, I don't know if this sounds sicko, but it's so soul enriching as well at the same time. Grief is so big, but it can really teach us so much and, and also give us so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. I can wholeheartedly say that if Aaron didn't pass away, I would still be drinking. Like, yes, his, uh, his passing made my drinking an addiction and much worse than it ever was. But if he was still here, yeah, I don't think I would have stopped. Like, it, it honestly, his, I don't want his death to be for nothing, you know, and that's another part of what helps keep me strong when I have my wobbly times. Absolutely, yeah. Just curious, how's the feeling in the chest now? It's subsiding, but it's still there. Yeah, it will end, I guess, just as we kind of keep talking, but it's just great to acknowledge that it's there and also noticing that it is subsiding because it does. Yeah. It does subside. It comes and it goes and it, yeah, it always passes. You've just got to breathe through it when it's there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. You're very brave and, and thank you for sharing that on the podcast too, because it's a great moment for people to listen to and learn from also. So tell me a bit with the alcohol, how far did it go for you? So was it turning into daily drinking? How did it look for you? It was definitely daily drinking. I was working, I went back to work pretty soon after Aaron and yeah, every night after work, I'd get drinks on the way home. I'd drink a bottle of wine on the weekends. It definitely become daily and I'd black out. I wouldn't remember things. I wouldn't remember phone calls I'd made. I was starting to say things that I actually didn't mean to people and I was becoming someone that I hated, quite literally. Like I couldn't stand, this is so full on to say, but I just couldn't stand myself. I was at the bottom. I was honestly at the bottom and it was hard. (laughs) Yeah, I think so many of us can relate to that feeling too of not liking ourselves anymore and like, who is that? How? It's it's Mm person. Absolutely. Yeah, it's completely lost. Yeah. What was the turnaround point for you? Joel was sitting on the couch one night and he said to me, what do you need? What can I do for you? And I said, I want to run away. I can't do this mundane stuff anymore. Like I just want to run away. And he said, righto, well, let's run. (laughs) And so I love him. (laughs) I love him too. That's where our Australia trip started. And yeah, that was it. It took off and we started planning and it was all very exciting, but we're still drinking. We hadn't stopped drinking, but we were, we were running away. We were going on our big trip. And then with COVID and all the things that kind of kept putting delays, delays and delays. And then in the midst of it all, I got pregnant. Really? Yay! <laughs> Baby Angus. 
Angus is honestly the biggest blessing to our family. He has completely changed all of our lives for the better. And yeah, so the day I found out I was pregnant, I didn't have a drink and I haven't had one since. Wow, that's amazing. So Angus is your third? Angus is my third and he is 18 months old now. Wow, gosh, you guys, 29, travelling around Australia and three kids under six. Yeah, (laughs) busy. (laughs) That would make most people drink. We've honestly felt like it at times. Don't you worry. <laughs> so tell me, so it was from that point you decided to to stop the drinking. And that's, I mean, what a gift too, like having him in the belly so you obviously can't. There must have been times where after the pregnancy that you felt like, okay, should I take this up again? Like when you're at that crossroads, how did you navigate that? I think that constantly reminding myself why I'm doing what I'm doing I practice gratitude a lot and thinking of all the good things that I have in my life and I know full well that if I start to drink that all that good will disappear Mm -hmm. because nothing ever, nothing good ever comes from drinking, ever. We're human and we have wobbly moments where we think, should I? I've even got to the point where I've thought about what I would drink if I drank again. It's so hard sometimes but I have got far too much to lose and Life is hard sober. I do not want to add something else to have to contest with. I just want to be happy and healthy for my family. Mm, Absolutely. Thinking like if I did go back to it, what would that bring to your life if you were to go back to the booze? Sadness, disappointment, anger, hurt. I would feel, honestly, I'd feel like a failure, mainly because it's been so hard to stay sober. So I think Mm -hmm. I've got so far to fall because I've come so far. What have you found hardest about the journey so far? I have found finding new coping mechanisms the hardest because I think when you drink, it's easy. Like it's accepted. No one really needs to know how much you're drinking or when you're drinking or why you're drinking. You can just drink. So yeah, I think finding new coping mechanisms when struggling has been the hardest part of getting sober. But have you found any coping mechanisms that work for you? Definitely. I think if I didn't find the coping mechanisms, I'd probably be drinking. I exercise. So I think as like now, I think moving my body is my medicine. And if I don't move, I'm not well. And if I'm not well, my family aren't well. So that's what gets me out of bed in the morning to get it done. I'm grateful. I practice gratitude daily. I think that that's really, really important, especially in the days where you're down and sad and it's hard and you don't want to smile. Finding the little things, I think, and holding on to the little things is what get you through. Gratitude is like a freaking bang on about it constantly with people I work with and on the podcast, but it's our lifeline. And it's the times when you don't feel like doing gratitude, that's when you got to do it. Absolutely. I agree. It just changes everything, like absolutely everything. And I think it's it's what gets us through like it's what makes us realize that yeah life is good and it's worth making good choices for myself absolutely for myself and my family and the people that have stood by me always my support system like I'm sure my friends got sick of me stealing at their house or wetting their beds or you know all the things that come with being a drunk mess but they all stood by me and they deserve to see the best version of me too yeah, seeing the best version of you, that's what it's all about. How are those friends, how do they feel about you not drinking? They're legends. I figured out really early on that my friends are the family that I get to choose and I've been so lucky because I've 
chosen some rippers. <laughs> they have my back 110% whenever I need it, anytime, any day, for anything. And yeah, so that I'm like so grateful. Amazing, so, isn't it? Yeah, isn't yep. it great? You have that. There's this great song, uh, Elton John sang it with, I can't remember her name, but it's called Chosen Family. I love that. Because I've got a lot of shows. I'm, I'm one of those people that I need to hear the music. I'm bad with like, if you tell me a name, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I know it. And then I hear it. I'm like, yeah, I know that song. I'm going to send it to you. You're going to love it. It's okay. a bit cheesy, but it's great. All right. So here's some coping mechanisms. So exercise, getting the body moving, which also gives us dopamine. Gratitude practice, which helps us see what's great in our life. And what else? Finding that give you joy, natural joy. For me, I love to cook. And I love to cook for people. I love that food brings people together and it makes people happy. And I love food. So it works out really good. Leaning into things you enjoy. And when I stopped drinking completely, I I didn't really know what I enjoyed. I didn't really know what my hobbies were. But I love taking myself out for a breakfast date, reading the paper on my own, drinking a coffee, filling my own cup. It's good. Yeah, it's all about filling your own cup, isn't it? I love that, taking yourself out for breakfast. Like, I mean, that is just absolutely beautiful. And we don't do it enough. All right, we need to do it more often. Everyone should pull it in. Yeah, and take yourself out on a date. Yeah, because you have it. Absolutely. I love it. I think that's absolutely wonderful. For some people, they think, oh, fuck. For me, old me would never have done it, but I love to go out for dinner on my own or lunch on my own or just anything on my own pretty much these days is an absolute gift. And yeah, I think that's beautiful. Filling your own cup. So people listening to this thinking, how do I create good coping mechanisms for myself? And everyone's different. But I think whatever fills your own cup and bringing joy into your life and all those things that you love. I was talking to Lissy Turner just recently on the podcast about having the aspirations to bring the good stuff that perhaps even that drinking brought to us. For me, it was cooking for people or bringing people together. And so still doing those things or enjoying good music, but doing it just without alcohol and really refining those things. So, you know, really refining the cooking and the experience of eating together or refining the music together. And it's it can be so beautiful and really enriching in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like I said earlier, I'm 30 next month and I thought, how am I going to celebrate my 30th? Because I love to dance. I love music as well. So I've organised my birthday on a Sunday afternoon with live music at our bus block with all my friends and I can't wait and it suits me and my lifestyle and my choices and yeah, like you can make anything work for you. Absolutely. It's so good. That's just so wise. It's so amazing. Also, Joel, your partner, he's been alcohol free for a little bit now too. Tell me, I mean, we can't speak for him, but tell me a little bit about that and how that's made you feel. Oh, he's incredible. I love him so much. We're both on completely different journeys and we both stopped drinking for completely different reasons at different times. But ultimately having a husband, and your husband, I can say that, it feels so good. Having your husband's support with anything, you feel like you can conquer all. For me, it's it's everything and it's pivotal to our relationship and our family and our commitment to ourselves and each other. And it's empowering and powerful. And I feel so lucky that he's such a legend. And a great fisherman too, I must say. He's a bloody good fisherman. <laughs> I'll have to get him on the podcast next. I'd love to oh, meet him. Love that. that would be so awesome. What's interesting too is that we'd met at Red Bluff and that's obviously where we sort of really started chatting, but we'd also met in Calbarry. We had. How funny we is had. that? So crazy. Joel had, had a mull away on his bucket list for a really long time and we'd put in a lot of hours fishing 
and Cal Barry will always hold a special spot in our hearts because he called his mull away. <laughs> Amazing. And we were there talking about it. We and they're like, yeah, or we met another guy who'd caught one, but then we were talking about Joel catching one the day before. And isn't that funny? Such a small word. So crazy. And now I'm here on your podcast. I think our, that was like the universe putting us in each other's orbit. Absolutely. And it was like, it didn't happen then. So it was like the universe says, right, I'm going to put you together again at Red Absolutely. Bluff. So, and Love here it. you are. It's here amazing. Are. <laughs> You've said there's been a couple of times where you have felt a little bit wobbly and you felt like, fuck it, should I just drink? Obviously, we, we all have those moments where we, we do consider it, oh, should I have one or that would be nice. But what's it like to be on the other side of it when you realise day after, okay, I didn't do it? How does that feel for you? It's exhilarating. It's like mm-hmm. ecstasy. It's honestly the best feeling when you felt so vulnerable and wobbly and unsure and you question how far you've come and why you're doing all the things to then stand firm and then wake up the next morning and you look at each other and you say, we didn't have a drink yesterday and you like cheer and you carry on and you make it a big deal because it is a big deal. And I think when we stop carrying on about how good it is that we didn't have a drink, that'd be sad. I think because what we're doing is incredible and amazing and yeah, it feels good. Yeah, it's so amazing. Also just to be on the road, like I found this interesting to be on the road and there are times like when you're traveling and caravanning, like everyone's drinking or a lot of people are drinking around you and it's, it could be e- easy to kind of go, oh, you know, I'll just have one, but you don't. And it's so great. It really does enrich the process. I had a lot of people message me while we were away, obviously when we were posting our photos and like people saying, how are you doing it? Like, how do you do it? How do you, I could never camp sober. And yes, you could. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's possible. Yeah. We're here to tell you, you can do it. Yeah, you can. You can. And, and it's fun. It is, isn't it? It's really cool. One thing I noticed, like when we're at the bluff too, like sharing with some of the cool people there, we give them some alcohol-free beers to try or some alcohol-free G&Ts or whatever we had going. And it really sparked some really cool conversations with people too to go, like some people didn't even know it was a thing. Yeah, it's a thing and it's getting bigger. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so amazing. To be completely honest, what are some of the benefits that you've really found or the most beneficial things that you've found because of sobriety? What's it given you? My life back. I'm in control of my life. I own every decision, every conversation. That's really powerful. My mental health, it is pivotal for everything in my life. And if I was drinking, I wouldn't be well. And I'm well now. And yeah, that is honestly the best gift of all. But also being present for my children, being all that they need me in the moments that they need them, not later, not in 10 minutes, but now. And seeing their smiles, (laughs) it's everything. It really is everything. It's such a gift, isn't it? It's not just the gift that you give yourself, but all the people around you. Yeah. And particularly our family. Definitely. Well, going back to we are talking about before we started recording, you just eloping yesterday. And what's it like to get married and elope? And again, you know, like you said, there was a moment that came up where you you had a bit of a wobble there where you felt like, oh, it would be good to have a drink. And how was that experience? Talk us through that. Yeah. So eloping was incredible and it was exactly what we needed and wanted as a family of five. The emotion and love and laughter that we all shared was something that I don't think would have happened if we had guests there. And so for that, like it's worth it. To get married and have such a big, like it's a big celebration to be married and to commit yourself to someone. And I think the thought of that made me think, oh, 
maybe I would like to have a glass of wine at dinner to celebrate because it was huge. Like we are going to be together for the rest of our lives. Like I knew that anyway before yesterday, but I think because the spirits were high, the emotions were high, we're feeling all the feels. I said to Joel, I think I might have a glass of wine. Do you want to have a drink? And I think in that moment, like I was hoping that he would say yes. I Just in that moment, like if you ask me now, no way would I have a drink. I don't want to have a drink. But in that moment, I think, baby, yeah, I wanted him to say yes. But he said, no, I'm not going to have a drink. You can if you want. And then in that moment, I was like, no, I'm not going to have one. Let's order something quick, though, because I need something to drink. And we had a soda. It was perfect. And then we ordered mocktail pina coladas. We had two of them, and they were great. (laughs) And, um, yeah, we got through that moment, and I'm so glad we did because we had our celebration this morning about how we got through our wedding and we didn't have a drink. And I think that cements the foundation of our marriage. I think if we had a drunk last night like I don't want to start my marriage like that after the last two years that we've put in the hard work I can hardly remember my wedding night you know I had a still been drinking I would remember it either (laughs) in fact and then on our honeymoon we drank so much we had a fight it happens doesn't it what the fuck yeah thank you alcohol yeah you ruined something yet again (laughs) you ruined something yet again that's exactly right There's something really important too in that where you said, quick, hurry up and order something quick though, because I need a drink. So I need something. And that's really important too. Like whenever you get a craving, get something else quick Mm -hmm. if you need to. And if you get to a restaurant or a gig or somewhere that you're at and you start to feel that, just quick, hurry up, get yourself an alcohol-free drink. And it usually passes. It it doesn't last long, does it? No, it really doesn't last long. You've just got to be strong enough in that moment. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And what would it have been like for you today had you drunk? Let's just say you got shit-faced last night. How would you have felt today? So disappointed, so sad, angry at myself. That's not the way I want to spend the first day of being married. No way. We would have had to cancel the podcast. Yeah, because I would have been over because I wouldn't have stopped at one. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, and you wouldn't really qualify to be on the podcast anymore. Well, that too, yeah, lost. (laughs) That's right. It's amazing. And and then how do you feel having known that you didn't do it? It's like such a different feeling. Exhilarating. I love it. I feel so good. Like mm-hmm. I'm proud. I'm so proud. Mm-hmm. I'm proud of me and I'm proud of us. I'm proud of Joel. Like, yeah, it's awesome. So good. What a great, It's so, it does certainly help. I do feel for the people that don't have that support from a partner because, yeah, I think there, there could have been times in there where I got wobbly and Ash was like, no. Nah. Or people in my group said, nah. I was like, okay, all right, then, yeah, nah, got this back on track. And it was really helpful. So it's really good to have someone in your corner, absolutely. And if it can come from your your partner, that's really, really helpful to keep you on track. And you'll probably do the same for him one day too, hopefully. Absolutely, absolutely. It's a balancing act. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It's an absolute balancing act. So talk to me a little bit about, obviously, you were seeking relief from the pain and pain from the trauma in childhood and pain from losing your brother. How do you deal with the pain other than what you just did before where we just sat with it for a moment? How else do you get relief from the pain? Do you get counselling? How do you cope? Definitely therapy is a really, really important part of healing and any journey and that is something that I really advocate for. Me too. Um, Me too. Yeah. Talk it out to professionals, to people that are trained to give you advice and coping mechanisms to get through what you need to get through. Change it up. Like I have seen many psychologists over the years and I find that really useful too because one professional can only really give you so much. When you have so much trauma or you're so broken, 
you need more. And I think there's never a dead end. There is always another way that you can get help and be well. So yeah, talking. Talking a lot. Yeah, (laughs) I think that absolutely helps. Talking and feeling and processing is what it's all about. And there's no shame in getting therapy. I get therapy. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's actually, it's a great opportunity just to kind of air some stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It's really, really good. And just no matter where I am, if I have a feeling that's come over me, I feel it now. I'm not ashamed. If I am in the supermarket and a song comes on and I need to cry, I cry. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for that. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> it's all about that, isn't it? Just feeling whatever comes up. And if you feel good expressing it or, or whatever. One thing I that my whole family remembers about you was when Joel was catching fish, you were so excited and you were like, you were like, go Joel. And you didn't care who was around. You were just like expressing yourself. I thought, this chick's really fucking cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That was before I knew you were sober. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about just expressing and experiencing whatever it is that's coming up for us and not bottling it down, not shoving it down anymore. So if you could go back and and talk to 11-year-old Casey and give her what she would have needed at that time, what would you say to her? That it's going to be okay and that there is going to be a time that you will feel safe and loved like you deserve. And no matter how hard things get and when you think you can't get up, you will. You'll find that strength within yourself and you will get up and you will be all that you were destined to be, no matter what you've been through. Yeah, beautiful. Amazing. Thank you so much, Casey, for coming on today. And I really appreciate you sharing your story. It's a big one. And I'm pretty sure we're going to hear you again on this podcast. 100%. I want to keep following your journey and I want to get Joel on. If anyone wants to reach out for you or follow your travels on Instagram, what's the best way for people to do that? Yep. So our Instagram name is Too Good Trippin' because our last name's Too Good. And we're tripping around this amazing country. It is too good. How long are you on the road for? Eight months in total and we're six months in. So we're on the pointy end of the trip. Wow, you're nearly home. Are you coming down the East Coast? No. So from here we'll do the give and then to Darwin for a month where I have an uncle and we're going to spend some time there and then we'll smash it down the middle. Oh, shame. Yeah. If we'd have come in via our way. I know, that would have been awesome. I would have loved it. There will be time for that though, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll see you again. Absolutely. I'm 100% sure of that. How's the feeling in the chest now? Subsided. It's just slightly tight, but nothing like it was before. I feel like I can breathe. So that's amazing, awesome. isn't it? So yeah. it's so true that these feelings come up and they can seem so huge and so prickly, like you, how you described it. it was prickly and big. And just by acknowledging and being with and just kind of letting it settle, amazing, subsided. Ah, it's pretty amazing. Really amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was so awesome to talk to you and connect again and just thank you. Thank you so, so much for having me. It's been a real, real privilege. Thank you. See you soon, mate. Bye. Bye.